guys, welcome to the More Than Mom podcast. I'm your host, MJ Cash, and your new mom BFF. And guess what? You get me without any awkward playground small talk. On this podcast, we'll be covering everything we possibly can to help you thrive in all of your roles, not just as mother, but as wife, woman, and individual with your own passions and dreams. I hope that you'll choose to continue along this journey with us as we all begin to figure out how to become more than mom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the More Than Mom podcast with your host, MJ Cash. That's me. Last week on the podcast, we had my dear friend, Allie Thayer, who was truly just a ball of fun and energy. And even on a very tough subject, she can really just make you zone in and have a great time. And I really appreciate her for that. If you got the chance to listen to Allie's podcast episode that I released last week, you will likely recognize the name of this guest. Today, we have on one of Allie's best friends. Her name came up several times during her episode. And afterwards, Allie was gracious enough to share her contact information with me and get me in touch with her. And I am so glad she did because she is absolutely fantastic. Her name is Lindsay Wilburn, and she is a therapist who specializes in children. She works mainly from ages 10 to uh, young adulthood, but you will see in this episode that everything she talks about pretty much applies to everyone. I want to start this out by making an official public apology to Lindsay. Uh, do you guys ever have just one of those days? Because I certainly did. I had one of those days on the day that I was scheduled to interview Lindsay where my head was just not working right. I couldn't think properly and all day I was recognizing it. And then on top of that, I always schedule my interviews to be on days when my kids are in school. But my sweet little boy Beckett that day happened to be home from school sick. And my husband was corralling him in our basement trying to keep him quiet. But we had quite a few pauses in the middle of our interview. Uh, Of course, I edited those out for you, but it could have very easily thrown Lindsay off her game. But fortunately for us, she brought her absolute A game that day and she did not flinch. She is truly incredible. If you guys could hear the raw version of this interview and see how much I put her through um, in that short time, our house was a little bit hectic this day. But she hung in there and seriously, the information that she shares was so helpful to me during this talk. So I know for a fact it's just going to be some really key insights for you as well. We talk about how to recognize emotional stressors in your children as well as how to build a healthy environment in your house. And I love the distinction that Lindsay makes. She says not just not just a, a physically safe environment. You know, you can definitely cover the outlets and you can hide the weapons and you can do all those things. But we're talking about what's an emotionally safe environment for your kids where they feel like it's a comfortable enough place and a safe enough place that they are willing to share. One of the most interesting things for me that we talked about, especially just just our culture today, we talk on this episode about the ways that divorce can affect children. A lot of times I think about divorce through the adult's eyes and through the adult's perspective, and I I know it's going to be hard on the kids, but I don't really think through what all that means and what it's really like for them. And so Lindsay kind of leads us through that and kind of gives us a, a great opportunity and a great discussion to have with 
ourselves and our friends and our um, spouses for those of us who are encountering divorce about how to make it a healthy transition for your children and how to keep their needs at the front of your brain. This episode is really cool for me and I just think that so many of you are going to get so much out of it because this is one of those episodes that's not just for the moms of the young kids. Okay guys, this one is for everyone. There's great tidbits for moms of all ages who have all different aged kids to figure out how to create a better relationship and a closer relationship with your child and to help raise your child into a healthy, functioning, happy, fulfilled, confident adult. And isn't that just what we all want? It's certainly true for me. I know you guys are going to get a ton out of this episode. It seems like therapy today is starting to get more relevant for grown-ups, but it was such cool insight and I'm so thankful to Lindsay for coming on and and really opening the door for us to see inside of the world of child therapy so that we can really see the ways that therapy is not just good for us grown-ups, but it's good all the way through. And honestly, Lindsay might even argue, I won't speak for her, but she kind of alludes to it in this interview, that it's even more important in children because it gives us an opportunity to address some of those childhood traumas while they're happening so the kid can process it fresh rather than still struggling from the effects of that trauma 30, 40, 50 years down the road. So with that, I'm going to let you pull all the nuggets that you can out of this interview. And here is children's therapist, Lindsay Wilburn. And Lindsay, you are a counselor in the Nashville area. Mm-hmm. Can you give me a little bit about your background? Yeah. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, I have a private practice in Murfreesboro, so just outside of Nashville. And um, my background is pretty much always been specifically with kids and teenagers and their families. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's degree in marriage and family therapy and have been in the field almost seven years at this point. That's so, awesome. mm-hmm. Are you from this area originally, or did I, you move here? I am born and raised from Murfreesboro. Oh, man, mm-hmm. I keep meeting unicorns on this podcast, and it's so <laughs> bizarre that I'm actually finding them and bringing them in. Yes, yeah, I'm <laughs> a local. That's amazing. Uh-huh. So you've obviously seen Nashville and Murfreesboro grow like mm-hmm. crazy. Is that pretty bizarre? It is. Yeah, being Rutherford County is kind of Murfreesboro, and, I mean, I remember when it was fields and very little traffic and we didn't have all the stuff that we have now so I think it was maybe still is like the second fastest growing county in the state and it feels like it yeah no (laughs) it it definitely does when I moved here in 2010 I didn't feel like there was a lot of traffic then Mm -hmm. and I'm sure it was a lot more than when you were growing up but that was before the big boom Uh and it was probably 2012 or 13 that all of a sudden it was like Everyone knew about our city. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I feel that. I think so, too. And in Murfreesboro, I mean, schools are popping up like crazy. We had four high schools, I think, when I was wow. in high school. Mine was the fourth. It was brand new. And now there's like seven or eight just all over the place. That's and incredible. twice as many elementary schools. We just yeah. have a ton of kids. You know, I think we're getting a lot of folks that work in Nashville and maybe don't want to 
be in the heart of all the construction and the traffic and the tourism. And so I think they kind of look outside of Davidson County and right. kind of come our way. Well, let's call it what it is, two house prices in yes. Davidson County are insane. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a couple other counties are pushing us out on the cost of living, so yeah. they come our way. That's it's great. Sure. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit about your practice then. What do you specialize in and how did you get to specializing in that? Um, so I only see kids and teenagers, and really over the, the years, I've been in private practice almost four years, okay. and I started out doing it part-time. I was working in other full-time agencies, usually not-for-profit agencies here in the Nashville and Murfreesboro area, and I, I started doing private practice on the side just because I was, frankly, just interested in working with kids. I just really enjoyed that, and about a year ago, I went full-time, so I just do private practice solely now, and I've been really lucky that I've been able to kind of figure out, you know, what age range I really like and what kind of population I really enjoy. So I see ages 10 and up. Okay. Um, I've got a few college students even, so young 20s. And occasionally I'll take some younger ones, you know, especially if I've already seen an older one and they have a younger sibling. Mm-hmm. And I already kind of know the family history and the dynamics there, so I might kind of take them on as well. But I really see... Um, a lot of teenagers, a lot of teenage girls. Um, that's probably my wheelhouse. That's uh, <laughs> There's a lot of drama and stress going on in that stage of life for them, um, but they keep me on my toes for yeah. sure. It's really just evolved kind of organically. Um, I just grew up babysitting, nannying, working in some of the church programs that were meant for the kids. And when I got into college, I just sort of naturally fell into taking some psychology classes to meet general education credits, mm-hmm. found that I liked them. And somewhere along the way, I think in one of the courses, they were educating us on the different sort of pathways that you can take okay. with a psychology major. And marriage and family was listed, and I was like, yes, mm-hmm. I want to do the family work. I want to work with kids. So it just kind of evolved that way, and I've always just sort of found things that fit within the MFT world but that focus more on working with kids. That's awesome. Working with kids, you said mostly 10 and up. Mm-hmm. What is it about that age that you feel like, is that when hormones really shift and they need someone to talk to? Is that more when they can express themselves better? Why, why did you kind of find that age range to be the best? My fit. Um, I think it's more so about sort of the, a lot of the developmental factors. Mm-hmm. So when you're working with the really, really little ones, um, and I have some colleagues out there that I know that see as young as two or three, okay. and they love that range until about five or six. You're really doing, at that point, a lot of parenting work. It's not even really so much about the child. Mm. It's more so working kind of more alongside the parents and helping them um, model and kind of educate and just giving them the tools. When you get to kind of that later elementary age, they're really starting to develop just a really good intellectual ability to conceptualize it's still a good use of play and imagination Mm -hmm. and that childlike nature but they're also starting to develop the ability to relate with adults really well and also I find that a lot of the challenges that they're facing become a lot more stressful. That's when they're really starting to look at moving into middle school and just the socialization, peer pressure, their identity, self-esteem, a lot of that stuff really starts to emerge and somewhat be problematic. Um, so I find that some of those issues are 
a little bit more fitting to what I like to work with. Okay. That's really interesting that you'll bring up middle school because I think <laughs> I don't know anyone that's had a really stellar middle school oh, experience. No. <laughs> so. Oh, no, no, no. No, and I love like when middle schoolers come in and especially with the parents and the parents are like, oh, they're just having such a hard time. And I'm like, I don't think you can get through middle school without having a hard time. <laughs> so you are amongst the many and not the few. Like, it's so normal. Yeah, that's so funny. Uh-huh. I, I I, mean, I liked middle school, but, like, over the school years, mm-hmm. it was the worst three years oh, for absolutely. everybody. It's just everyone's, like, all, everyone's awkward stage. Mm-hmm. It's just the whole thing. It starts to get clicky. Yes. And, yeah. Well, and it makes a huge difference on the type of school environment that you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I look back on my middle school, and I would say socially and academically, developmentally, developmentally, it was fine for me, but the school itself was new. Again, that right. emergence of all the stuff going on in Rutherford County at the time. So I was in a brand new middle school. Dress code was insane. School rules were really strict. And so finding sort of my identity, dressing my body at the time, right. and still following the rules, there was just so much about fitting in that was hard. And it wasn't even necessarily a social thing or a me thing. It was just the environment that I was in. So that makes a huge difference, yeah. too. Yeah. It makes me wonder, and you probably know more as a therapist, but how much of who we end up being in as an adult and a lot of our subconscious and a lot of the ways that we look at ourselves and think of ourselves are developed in those like really middle school Mm -hmm. and probably early high school years. Yeah. Which I can see, it's funny because as a grown up, I think it's very good that it's becoming more uh, normal to go see a therapist. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know my husband and I have marriage counseling. We used to go weekly and now it's every other, every third, once a month. Um, But I still don't really ever hear about kids going to therapy unless mm-hmm. there's a very specific, serious trauma. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something to be said for, you know, just like grown-ups, even when nothing's wrong, it's good to go mm-hmm. to therapy. It's good to have someone to talk to yeah. that's a professional that can, uh, that knows kind of the back end of the brain and what, how it works mm-hmm. and can pick up on patterns. Yeah. And work that out with you. Absolutely. And so just think about how much more pivotal that is uh-huh. at those years yeah. where it's like everything is being formed and rocked mm-hmm. in those years. Yeah. To have someone safe to talk to. Yeah. As Lord knows, most kids are not going to their parents mm-hmm. for that. Um, I can see that being really, really beneficial. Yeah. And that was, that's, I'm so glad you said that because that's such a big part of sort of, I think, how I arrived at wanting to work with a younger population. Mm-hmm somewhere along the way I just dawned on me that who we are as adults a lot of times we're dealing with things or we're reacting out of things that happened when we were kids that was Mm -hmm. left unprocessed or untreated and so for me I think that's where I kind of stepped back and thought you know I really want to work with younger kids or younger folks because I don't want them to be wrestling with this when they're in their 30s you know or their 40s or whenever they should have the tools and have places when they're younger to deal with it so they can be more successful as adults. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's almost like you're being the vitamin mm-hmm. versus the medication on right. the back end. Yeah, right? like that's you're a great gonna, way to look at it. You're going to approach it on the front end when it's actually happening rather mm-hmm. than the person having to then deal with it 30 years down Absolutely. the road and still struggling through it and mm-hmm. having it affect their lives. Absolutely. I think that's amazing. Yeah. I, I actually, in a very similar way, uh, wanting to do what I'm doing and pursuing moms, it's I think it's so important to pursue the heart of mothers and to heal the heart of mothers mm-hmm. because we're the ones that are bringing up primarily the next generation. Yeah. 
And so, yes, we can fix, quote-unquote, the next generation when they need fixing, or we can just help their moms to be the best moms possible, Mm -hmm. and that will eliminate a lot of the problems right out of the gates, right? Like, (laughs) a lot of us, the reason for therapy, and my husband and I always will say this, like, our kids will need therapy one day because of some of the things that we do that we don't realize we're doing. Uh That's just the nature of it. it. That's going to Absolutely. happen. Yeah. We're the best parents we can possibly be, and we are certainly doing everything we can to, to be the best for them. But just like we have things from our childhood that have affected us, they're mm-hmm. going to have that too, uh-huh. no matter how hard we try to be Sure, perfect. yeah, no bubbles. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So working with kids then, talk to me. I'm sure they don't process things similarly um, mm-hmm. to adults. They probably don't do everything the same as adults. They might not be able to think through things in the same way. What are some ways that you approach therapy with children? So I think it's really important to first kind of explain what therapy is. So whereas adults and even some of my teenagers, and I'll say adults too because I do have college students. Mm -hmm. So my adults, my teenagers, a lot of times they are pretty familiar with therapy. It may be a positive or a negative association, so we kind of have to address that too. But younger kids don't necessarily know. A lot of them, I will say that I've, um, by the time I get them, they've interacted with maybe the school counselor. Okay. So that helps bridge the gap a little bit. But just explaining what therapy is, that it's a safe space, what my role is to them, which I'm also sort of indirectly explaining to the parents also that my role is to advocate for their child. I'm not the parent's counselor or, you know, one-on-one with them unless it's directly related to their child. But, you know, I'm there for their kid to um, have a safe space, to have a safe person, to teach them skills, to really just make life easier for them. Not that anything they're doing is right or wrong, Mm -hmm. but to help them be healthy. And I emphasize a lot of what is healthy behavior um, for kids. So teaching them that and helping them to understand what therapy is and then the second step is to really kind of educate on the types of therapy modalities that I use. Mm-hmm. And the most common one with younger kiddos is typically play therapy, which really throws parents for a loop sometimes, <laughs> um, that they're sort of paying me to effectively play with their child. I think that's a two-in-one win. Yeah. I'd be like, cool, you can babysit <laughs> uh-huh. and ther- like be a right. counselor. Right, be a therapist. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, I love when parents appreciate that and don't get really upset with me. Um, because it, it really does look like play if you're not sure what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were to walk in my therapy room, um, I have several bookshelves of just toys. So... Princess figurines, all the Disney characters, some action figures, army guys, board games, card games. Um, I also do sand tray. So I have two smaller sort of travel size sand trays and all the props to go in there. Um, I have art supplies and crafting things. So it's this weird mixture of like art room and like your playroom kind of combined Mm -hmm. and that's my office. So looking at kind of explaining and making sure that first of all the kids understand we're not just playing. Um, It really isn't that I'm there to babysit them, but there's a purpose. And so that the parents also understand that I'm looking at how that child plays and also how I can teach them in play, which is naturally their language. So when we look at kids, they're oftentimes imagining imagining things and they're being really creative. They wanna draw, they wanna do creative stuff. And that's a language they completely understand. So I'm, helping them to understand feelings and thoughts and behavior and social skills in their language. And 
parents may look at it and think, well, you just played a board game with them for the last 10 minutes. And I kind of take a step back and say, well, but I was watching that child to see how do they do when they start losing? Do they take turns with me? How do they regulate with that? Um, You know, any of those kinds of things. And that helps me to kind of know what direction we might need to head in and how they relate to the situation. That's really interesting. I first want to say, as someone who is constantly looking for a way to have fun, Mm -hmm. I don't know that I could actually be you and work in that office space. (laughs) I feel like every moment of free time, I'd be like, and we're going to play with Sam now. (laughs) No Uh kids are in there. It's just me. Uh, Yeah. You get enough of it that sometimes you're like, I'm just going to sit here quietly (laughs) for a little bit. Yeah. But that, that does sound really interesting. I can imagine, too, that probably while kids are playing, they feel safe. Mm-hmm. And so they're more willing to probably open up at that point. Oh, absolutely. If nothing else, it serves to just build rapport. Because mm-hmm. um, some of those games are really and truly just letting them be comfortable with me. And it's um, almost a distraction from the fact that they're in a room with a person they just met. Mm-hmm. And mom and dad may or may not even be in the room. And, you know, I can say, tell me about your favorite thing at school or tell me about your teacher or your best friend or do you have a pet? And it's a great way. A lot of times I will say that, you know, in the first session or two, anything I ask you, the child, you can ask me back. So it's a really great way. Um, I make sure, you know, that I'm asking appropriate stuff, but then they want to know, you know, do you have kids? Do you have a dog? Like Mm -hmm. a lot of the things that I ask them, you know, they're going to ask me and it's a really good way just to sort of get to know each other and let them feel comfortable. Like you said. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me because let's just call it what it is. I have a, I have a four year old and a almost two year old and they're not sitting still for any conversation Mm -hmm. we're having. Yeah. So as grownups, we walk into a therapy room, we sit on a couch, we have a conversation with an adult and we're, that's it. Yeah. And you cannot put a child on a couch and no. say, let's, let's just, you just sit there, hang tight, <laughs> right. and let's talk. Yeah, I'm going to educate you on cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. Tell me what you learned. Yeah. It does not go well. It sounds horrible. <laughs> well, and also, I do most of my sessions, for my traditional schedule school kids, I do my sessions after school. Mm-hmm. And so, that way they don't have to go to school. all day. Yeah, so they come into me, and especially if it's the end of the week, and they've been in class for eight hours, it's Thursday at five. <laughs> I am not gonna get them to sit and absorb anything right. if we just sit there. But if I break out, you know, Candyland, they're they're in. They're all in for yeah. me. So that's so great. Mm-hmm. That's really smart. Mm-hmm. Coming off of that, I'm I'm sitting here thinking through. I know my kids. I hope. Well, I know my kids will need therapy one day, and I mm-hmm. hope they go to it. Right. When I envision that, it's in their adulthood. Mm-hmm. And I think as parents, sometimes we can be prideful and we can think that if our child who is still living within our home and is still really underneath our our nurturing needs therapy, then it's a failing of ourselves. Right. And so I can see it being a really big hurdle to even get kids into therapy to begin with, Mm -hmm. to like get that first session. Right. Because as a parent, even though I know how beneficial therapy is, even when there's nothing to really address, right. it's just to talk through, yeah. even as that person, the idea of like thinking my kid is better with it is a little mm-hmm. cutting. Like, right. I'm not enough. Absolutely. How, 
how as a parent can we identify if therapy would be really specifically beneficial for our child? I think it's really important to kind of look at how your child is functioning. So, and to go back to, I want to, I want to kind of say to a point you made, like if it feels about you as the parent, I also, I tell parents this repeatedly, um, especially to the parents of my teenagers. If you think back to your own childhood, your own adolescence, even if you had a good relationship with your parents, that didn't mean they were your best friend and you were a hundred percent open with them all the time. Mm -hmm. As parents, it's, your job to also implement consequences and you're going to have a different level of attachment with your child than I will with mm-hmm. your child. So they're less likely to hide stuff from me because they're not necessarily going to think that I'm going to make them in trouble right? Um, or that they're going to have to bear up to any of my feelings about right. the situation. Whereas I hear time and time again with kids well, my mom and dad are going to be mad at me. They're going to be disappointed. They're going to be really upset. I'm going to get in trouble. And so, you know, it's not so much about if you failed as a parent. It's just that your relationship looks different. Mm -hmm. So that's really important, you know, to kind of point that out to parents because I do hear that a lot. It's like, I have failed my child. I'm a terrible parent. What have I done wrong? And I'm like, this is pretty normal. (laughs) Oh, we have a total complex that we need to be everything for our kids. Absolutely. It's it's unfounded. Mm -hmm. It's not correct. Right. But that is 100% the Uh complex that we carry at all times. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm like, no, it's okay. It's, did you tell your mom everything? And they're like, well, no. And I'm like, so why are you different? Um, Because we're the best. Yeah. Because I'm not my mother. Oh gosh. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have a great friend who works with adults. (laughs) Right. I'm like, go see my neighbor in the next office. They see adults. It's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, kind of overcoming that is the first obstacle sometimes is kind of like helping the parents to be okay Mm -hmm. and accepting of what's going on with their kid. But to look for, um, just to go back and kind of address that question about what are we looking for with our kids? The biggest thing is, you know, like I said, how are they functioning and what's sort of developmentally appropriate? Um, again, with like younger kids, um, even teenagers, we want to look at if their behavior sort of fits what seems, and I hate to use the word normal, so I try to use the word healthy and appropriate. Um, Even as adults, we have bad days, you know, we we lose it sometimes, and the difference is often that we just have more time, we have more development in our brain science, you know, all of that stuff supports better skills, hopefully, if we're healthy versions (laughs) of ourselves. Um, We have the, the skills to sort of process a bad day. Right. And we know how to deal with it, hopefully, again, in ways that are healthy. Um, so we're not just bursting into tears all day long or cussing people out and yelling and flipping furniture. Right. Um, but younger kids don't have those skills yet. They still have bad days. And so I think parents sometimes will downplay a child having a bad day. And then they have, you know, a really rough afternoon when they get home and they're crying. And, you know, but they don't have the skills to necessarily cope with that in the best mm-hmm. way or to express why they're having a bad day or to even conceptualize it in their own head. And that's all really developmentally appropriate. Right. Because they're eight, you know? Right. So looking at what feels sort of developmentally appropriate and some parents are like, well, I don't know, which is fair. You know, we're not all educated in childhood development. Right. Um, so asking the pediatrician, family doctor, your 
kids, friends, parents, like, hey, does, does your kid do this? You know, right. um, kind of looking to see what, what seems kind of on point for their age. Probably a lot of feedback from teachers, too. Definitely. Are working with a lot of the kids Absolutely. and see how yours is interacting. Oh, and you'll hear about it from the teachers. Right, right. Like, they're going to let you know if, yeah. it's, if it's a little bit of an issue. But then, and that goes to the next thing, which is how much is it interfering with functioning? Okay. So, again, if the teacher is having to reach out to you multiple times... I, the start of school is always my busiest time mm. because those first few weeks we're back in school, what maybe didn't seem like such of an issue over the summer, mom or dad kind of figured out the best way to cope with it. Um, we put them in a classroom with 30 other kids and one teacher and, oh, suddenly that looks like an issue right. where we're getting sent out of class regularly. Their learning is now being compromised. Their socialization is being compromised. Their sense of self is being compromised. Like if you're looking at Kind of how are they functioning in that regard? Um, what is their sleep looking like? Their eating looking like? Even just the kind of the little comments that are made by your child, that is a really good indicator of what's in their head. So if they're like, oh, I, I'm awful. I suck. Nobody likes me. I never win. I never get good grades. If you're hearing this over and yeah. over again and you see it really affecting your child's mood, like those are all really good kind of signs to watch for that maybe my kiddo needs some help learning how to kind of cope with life. Yeah, no kidding. I I am overly, obviously not in my brain, but I think in societal terms, very overly intentional with the language that we use in our household with mm-hmm. our children Yeah, and with each other too. I really understand the concept that what we're saying, our brains are absorbing mm-hmm. and believing. And if you are saying really negative things about yourself, your brain and your subconscious is believing that because mm-hmm. it doesn't know better. Right. And it's just saying, oh, okay, you stink or right. you're a horrible person or, or you never win. Mm-hmm. And it's like it, it will find ways to confirm that mm-hmm. all the time. Uh-huh. And so we're very, we've always been, even before our kids could talk and communicate themselves, we have been very careful about what we've said around them. We keep things very positive. Not to say that we don't address things when, like, there are issues or if we're struggling with something, like, we talk through that. Mm-hmm. We let them know that, you know, mom and dad struggle on things, too. But we keep it with a very, like, winning mentality about mm-hmm. it. And as you're saying these things, I've heard kids say this before. Especially, uh, I, I don't know if I've, like, witnessed any of my friends' kids saying these things. Because mm-hmm. most of my friends' kids are really young. Mm-hmm. But like growing up as a child myself, I heard friends use that kind of language about themselves right. and be really just like, just really deface themselves uh-huh. in their language. Yeah. And I've never thought about what it would be like to hear my own child say those things, but it would be so mm-hmm. challenging because of course we look at our children, you know, with, we look at them with all their potential. We look at them with everything that they are from the time that they're born and they're beautiful little babies mm-hmm. to everything that we've been dreaming about for their lives. Right. And, um, that would be really hard to swallow to hear a kid speaking like that about themselves mm-hmm. when you know how clouded that is. Right. And I think it's amazing to find out that there's there's places that you can take your kid to work through that. Mm-hmm. They there are therapists that work with children. Mm-hmm. They can go and work through these things with someone who's again trained to identify patterns and right. to work through the the cognitives of it. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing. Well, and it's nice to, um, because I'm, I'm neutral, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a stranger to them until they step into my space. So the, the amount of times that I have said to a child, you know, you know, you're great 
like, I think you are such a cool kid. They hear that from their parents, hopefully, Mm -hmm. um, a lot. But because it's mom and dad, it gets written off really easily in their brain. Like, oh, your mom and dad, you love me, so you have to say these things. Right. Um, But I am just this stranger. I'm just Miss Lindsay. But if Miss Lindsay says these things, like, maybe that's true. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm getting to know their heart. And if I can still tell them that they're a really cool kid, then that can shift something for them. Because it comes from a a neutral person. Yeah, that's really true. So one of the things that we talked about when we were talking on the phone Mm -hmm. that was a really big aha moment for me that I honestly had never even considered. Something in our culture that has become unfortunately very normalized is divorce. Mm -hmm. It has become very normal. We all know people who have been divorced. We all have uh, friends as kids whose parents were divorced. A lot of our own parents are divorced. We always seem to look at it from an adult's perspective. Mm -hmm. We look at it as the uh, couple that has broken up. We definitely understand that like, it's, it's unfortunate for the children. They're going to have to go back and forth. Right. A lot of times we put the positive spin on it. Well, at least they're not in an unloving household mm-hmm. with fighting. And, and many times that's true. Right. What I never had kind of stepped back to consider is that that's actually a traumatic experience for a child. Mm-hmm. The world that they have known since they were born is now broken apart. Right. And everything shifts. Mm-hmm. Their daily routines shift where they're living shifts, where they're going to school sometimes shifts. Mm-hmm. I had never considered that like, that's, that's like a PTSD moment it for a child. Yeah. You talked about on our phone call that you work with a lot of kids who have gone through divorce and mm-hmm. need to process it. Mm-hmm. Talk me through what that looks like as far as what can the impact of divorce be on a child and why might it be beneficial for them to be able to go talk through that with someone? Yeah, unfortunately, I do see a lot of kids who have parents that are divorced or, um, you know, they've split up. It may not be that they were married in the first place, but there's some level of separation that's occurred. And it can be a really heavy impact on the child. And the biggest impact indicator, I think, is how the parents respond Mm -hmm. and how they treat that situation. And that's tough because as an adult... You know, I've experienced breakups in my life. Mm -hmm. I've never been divorced, but, you know, I've dated and broken up with people. And so I know that those situations are tough. And unfortunately, you end up oftentimes having a really strained relationship with the former partner. And so then you add in the fact that you still ideally need to be nice to each other because it's what's best for your kids is really tough. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you're not going to agree on a lot and you're not going to process a lot in the same ways and that comes across to your children so yeah you know you're going to be really having to set the tone for how your child responds to the divorce Um, and you know we did talk on the phone about sometimes that can be a trauma and when you're working with anyone really but my kid language here is little t and big t traumas so kind of the capital letter t puts that extra emphasis on how severe that trauma is, just how much of an impact it's going to carry. And really that, a lot of times people think, oh, well, that's going to be a really traumatic, just really catastrophic kind of situation. Yeah, I'm thinking like sexual assault. Yeah, assault. I'm I'm sure all counts. Yeah, oh, it does. And, you know, a car accident or your your home got broken into or something like that, um, where your life was sort of at, at 
in danger or you're at risk for something. Um, but a divorce can be considered a capital T trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, it could just be a small T trauma because it's a disruption and it's you know maybe just a blip on your whole life kind of scale. But it just depends really on how parents, I think, set the tone for their kids. If parents can really kind of put their own stuff aside and hopefully in the process of coming to the conclusion that they're going to get divorced, hopefully they've sought out sort of closed doors ways of handling that, you know, any kind of conflict or discussion about that, going to counseling or kind of meeting with attorneys and learning how to um, have arguments and discussions away from their kids. Mm -hmm. But even the navigating it after the fact where it's working out visitation and the rules at each home and how do we want to parent and handle these kinds of situations and how do we talk about mom and dad and not how are we talking about our ex-spouse. Looking at that kind of stuff, if you can get on the same page and really live it out in the ways that we've agreed to, that's going to be the best indicator for your child getting through it with their identity still intact. Right. I listened to a podcast once. I believe it was on the Boss Mom podcast, and she was interviewing the woman that runs, I believe it's called the Divorce Mom podcast. Mm. And it talked, she was talking, I thought it was really interesting, about the fact that when her and her husband were getting separated and then divorced, their um, divorce attorney was like, y'all need to write a book on this because mm-hmm. their kids, while their lives were obviously slightly disrupted, they approached the divorce in a way that I have never seen from my friends' parents that have gotten divorced mm-hmm. and that they ended up living um, like two minutes from each other mm-hmm. so that when the kids were switching houses, like if they forgot something, all right, mom will bring it over, dad mm-hmm. will bring it over because they wanted, they never wanted the kids to be inconvenienced because of this adult Failing. I don't know what the stressor. Right yeah, like yeah. you know this this adult conflict that happened that they had to make an adult decision and get separated. They never wanted to impact the kids, mm-hmm. you know, as little as possible yeah. at least. And she even said like she was conscious and she's never res- uh, referred to her ex as her ex. Mm-hmm. She refers to him as her kid's father, right? Because ex has a connotation to it. Right. And so I just thought it was really interesting listening to that. It's hard because I'm I am so like not anti-divorce, but like divorce only in extreme situations. Mm -hmm. But I also can see from like an interview like that, that sometimes living together in the same household can become very toxic. Mm -hmm. And if you were to just separate it by two minutes down the road, you can have a healthy relationship for your kids. Mm -hmm. And I think once kids are in the equation, so much of what you do has to be filtered through like what is going to be best for them. Oh yeah. And I've had kids and my teenagers that are in homes where the parents, when they've been divorced, but also I have some that the parents aren't divorced, Mm -hmm. but the kid has said to me, I wish mom and dad would get divorced because of what I'm living in. And a lot of times that then puts a lot of weight on the child to live in some sort of perfectionistic way um, or, you know, they have to be... Uh, top-notch all the time they can't be as honest about what's going on in their lives because what if that adds to mom and dad's stress you know they're already going through so much like I can't add to that and and something I say a lot is the little people don't take care of the big people 
Right. Um, you know, the child is never supposed to be taking care of their parents' emotions. Mm-hmm. And I have to reframe that for parents a lot, too, and kind of say the same thing. And that's kind of my gentle way at first of saying, hey, parents, like, I need you guys to get your stuff together. Mature a little bit. Yeah, like, <laughs> you need to figure it out because your kid knows what's going on. And then you've created an unsafe emotional space for your child. Yeah. Okay, so this is a curveball for you because it's not something that we talked about ahead of time. Okay. Um, so brace yourself. But it's something I'm genuinely so intrigued by. Okay. And it falls into this category. So I have heard in recent discussions, kind of in this day and age, of the idea of kind of just letting your kid in on some struggles and some hard things that adults go through too so they can see how and witness how an adult copes with that. And they Mm -hmm. can kind of learn, like, okay, like, mom... So for me, for example, I have been struggling with anger. I've been public about this. I have never, ever in my entire life dealt with anger as a forefront emotion of mine. Mm -hmm. It's never been the thing I go to. Right. I have a two and a four-year-old. Yeah. (laughs) All of a sudden, I'm finding my anger. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it has come out in some really ugly ways of me, probably less than a handful of times, but right up there, of flat out screaming at my kids, Mm -hmm. which is the furthest thing from like who I am. Right. And I have, because it's been a challenge for me when I feel it bubbling up to... I've I've been navigating how to cope with it myself. I finally decided, you know what? I'm going to talk with my four-year-old son and say, listen, I'm going to let you know mommy, mommy's struggling with anger right now. Mm -hmm. I'm having a really hard time when I start to get, um, like challenged by the behavior that I see in the house or having to say things multiple times. I can feel myself getting really angry and I haven't figured out yet how to calm that down. Right. And I'm really sorry and I'm working on it. Mm Mm-hmm. How much the, the fight I go through then is right. like this is good. Right. He is seeing like you know what mom and dad have feelings too. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad go things through things too. I will go th- through things and I'm gonna learn. You know what we can all overcome these kind right. of things. Yeah. But at the same time, every little bit of that that I open up to him, mm-hmm. he loses a piece of stability in yeah. us. Sure. And I just wonder. As a therapist, what your perspective is on that? I've mm-hmm. also heard people talking about, in the same sense, like allowing your kids to occasionally hear a disagreement between you and your spouse, right. but then also making sure that they hear reconciliation. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> so yep. they can be like, oh, so you can fight and then you can figure it out. And Absolutely. here's how that happens. So, how much of that, you know, can we let our kids into seeing that kind of things? Where's the line drawn? Obviously, there's a lot of gray area. Oh, yeah. But as a therapist, what's professionally, like, what's your take on that? Um, So I would probably land squarely in that gray area. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because every, everybody is different, including kids. And so what works for kid A doesn't necessarily work for kid B. And that's going to be the terrifying. same. Thank yeah, you for that. yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I know you've got two, so good luck with that. Um, Yeah, but that, I mean, and... I tell parents a lot of times, hey, you're actually the expert on your kid, believe it or not, Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, you're going to know your kid so much better than I ever will, Um, and I can help you with 
sort of what textbook says and what research says and maybe some of what I just gather as like a neutral party, but you're going to know from your everyday interactions and this child's whole life with you what looks like it could be working and what looks like maybe it isn't. Mm -hmm. So I think kind of using the the argument perspective as a, a really good example for a lot of situations, being able to tell your child, hey, I am struggling, again, what's appropriate, but I am struggling with anger today and here's how I wanna work on it. So letting them know like, hey, we all have these kind of feelings or we all can struggle with this kind of thing and let's get creative. Do you, can you think of anything that when you're mad that you do, do you think mommy can try that? Can you do it with mommy? Like maybe Mm -hmm. when we're both mad and sort of troubleshooting with them, I think looks really healthy a lot of times because it's setting up again, like you said, with the anger example, like here's what we struggle with, but here's also the resolution. Right. Or at least the steps we're taking to try and find a resolution, not just mommy's a mad person. Right. The end. Yeah. It's teaching them how to think through it. Mm -hmm. Um, from beginning to end. I know that's been what you're saying is mommy's a mad person or an angry person. That has been one of the things that I've really had to wrestle with in this past year that I've been really dealing with this is that anger has never been a part of my identity mm-hmm. as far as like who I am. It, it really, truly, I can literally like almost not think of any scenarios. I think maybe two in my whole life that I'm like, Ooh, I was really angry. Mm-hmm. It's just not the emotion that I fall back on. Right. And to think that potentially my kids could grow up and say, man, mom, she really loved us, but she was angry. Right. Is crazy to me. Mm -hmm. I'm fine if they want to assign a negative trait to me, but not that one because that's not who I am. Right. And it's just kind of been this like identity crisis of myself of being like, that would be horrible if that's the takeaway they got because I don't even feel like that is true. Right. Yeah, and being able to walk through things that you contribute to why you're experiencing Mm -hmm. anger. I think something that I teach a lot is that anger is usually not the primary emotion. Like, it might be what, like, steps out in front. Um, So it might be getting the spotlight, but there's always something that's kind of driving it out there. Mm. Um, And so what else is going on? Is it that we're actually really anxious about something? We're really hurt by something that somebody said or did? Are we really stressed? And being able to look at, well, mommy had very little sleep last night. You know, mommy has a showing today. Mommy was getting the house ready. Um, Mom had this appointment. You got sick. Like there was a lot of things on mommy's plate today that have probably led up to, I'm also feeling this, this, and this, and it may look like anger. Right. It may look like because I lost my temper or I was a little snappier that I was really angry at yeah. you. And let's talk through what all that was, what all was going on with that. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of kind of expanding the conversation um, as I'm thinking through this with my son. He, he developmentally is so advanced for four, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say four, he turned four yesterday. <laughs> uh, He's a big four. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, it's still fun for me to yeah. say. But to expand that for him, because there's been times in these situations when I'm starting to get angry, usually, in fact, pretty much always, it is brought up with something that kids are doing. Mm-hmm. So they're in the emotion, right. too. Like, yeah. the tension can be felt mm-hmm. in the space. Mm-hmm. And so usually, Beckett is also getting heightened. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting heightened. Right. And I'm doing my best to subdue what's happening on the inside. And I'm saying, I'm telling him to calm down. Mm -hmm. I'm telling him, you know what? I'm going to take a deep breath. And so I'm telling him Uh all these things, but as it continues to go, I start getting heightened. And the next thing I know, 
I'm then screaming and doing mm-hmm. the thing that I'm asking him right. not to Absolutely. do. Absolutely. And so he's going to mimic that. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. So to expand the conversation with him and not just say, Mom, I'm struggling with this, but I'm working on it and I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. To expand it into like, let's think through how can we calm ourselves down? How do you calm yourself down? Mm-hmm. And talking through some of those things or like, what is it? Why is mommy angry? Why, mm-hmm. why are some things that you get angry? When you get angry, what is it that's making you get angry? Mm-hmm. And sometimes he's not, you know, at this age, he's not able to identify those things, yeah. but at least to get him thinking through that. Mm-hmm. And honestly, to get myself thinking through that yeah. too can yeah. be really helpful, I think, to making this where it's not as much about mom being unstable, mm-hmm. but more about like, let's make this a teaching point and a yeah. learning lesson for the for the family. Absolutely. Like mom's human, he's human. Right. You know, we're we're gonna have those feelings and having you know, to your point that like he's only four, he doesn't have the cognitive ability to put all that together yet. But that's where he learns it. You know, that's what I'm doing with him. And it may look different because I'm not in the moment with him. Like I'm kind of in retrospect, oh you got mad yesterday. Right. But that's also why parenting is the hardest job in the entire world <laughs> because you are in the moment and you're still being human while he's being human. Right. And then trying to put yourself on the back burner and go, oh gosh, you know, I can't just like scream at my four-year-old, but he's screaming at me. Yeah. You know, all of our buttons are pushed and it's a nightmare. Yeah, but exactly. it's so hard. So when we start to identify these big feelings in our kids... Mm-hmm and maybe some patterns arising. Yeah. What are some like first steps that we can take being the primary caregivers to them um, to start to approach healing for them? Um, I mean, I think looking at what creates a safe space and safe, um, I need to distinguish between a physical safety versus emotional safety. Mm-hmm. So I don't mean like let's lock up all the sharks and the weapons and you know teach them how to get out in the event of a fire. Um, those are great too. But for being able to have really honest, vulnerable conversations, I think it is so important to create an understanding with your child that you'll hear whatever it is they have to say mm-hmm. and that you create within yourself the ability to respond neutrally no matter what um, because kids are pretty quick a lot of times to tell you the good it's the bad the ugly um, the embarrassing the mess ups like that's where they really struggle because like I said earlier you know they are watching for your reaction and your feelings about them you know they're looking to see if the attachment's going to suffer and the most kind of well-rounded healthy kids that I've seen are the ones that come in and they tell me hard stuff and I'm like, well, does mom or dad or guardian know about that? And they're like, yeah, they do. Okay. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. Okay. So I don't even have to necessarily do the parenting or the family work at that point. I'm really just, again, I step right into the role that I really need to be, which is, okay, let's look at this from a really healthy perspective. Mm -hmm. Okay. What do we need here? So for parents to be able to hear the hard stuff and go, you know what? I got you. I still love you that's really hard and the parents have to have their own place to process that Mm -hmm. so whether it's just you know parents night out where mom and dad go and talk about that and they go with their friends or they go to their own therapist or whatever um, but they create that safe space emotionally for their child to say whatever they need to say and to just be able to receive that I think that's step one in creating healing 
Um, if you look for the therapy route, um, it may be meeting with the school counselor. That could be, like I said earlier, a good step into pursuing therapy. But talking with your kid about that, what is therapy? If you go to therapy, normalizing that, letting them know it's completely confidential. As therapists, we don't run around telling their friends <laughs> and everybody in their world that they come see us and that there's something wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but really normalizing that, that it's okay, and being a part of that process too. So a lot of times I send home therapy homework which is a scary word for kids sometimes, but it's usually really fun, I promise. Um, But it may be practicing coping skills or doing certain activities that are meant to help with rewiring distorted thoughts or patterns of thinking. And I need parents to get on board with doing that with their child so that parents learn healthy skills, but they're in it with their kid. So they're always in it is the best way that that child is going to start moving forward in a healthy way. That's awesome. Yeah, I think when you talk about the idea that, you know, and again, you're talking teenagers at this point or young adults, Mm -hmm. talking through, does your parent know about that? And they say, yes, they do. That Mm -hmm. is like every parent's dream. Yes. We get our young children and we're like, please, just like when you're 20, let me know all the things. Absolutely. I mean, at every step up to that too, but like, I want to have that relationship with my child Mm -hmm. when they're an adult. And it's, it's cool to kind of step back and hear from uh, your vantage point, again, as a neutral party, to hear how does that happen? What are the steps that we put into place now when they're four, five, six, mm-hmm. seven, eight, nine, ten, to make sure that that's the relationship that we have mm-hmm. long term? Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. You talked a little bit about the stigma of therapy, some of the um, roadblocks maybe to get a child into therapy or mm-hmm. anyone in the therapy. Yeah. How do we let's troubleshoot those a little bit? I know I've heard many people say, including ourselves, back when our marriage was in a horrible spot Mm -hmm. and we did not go to therapy for the like for years Mm -hmm. and it was like oh we can't afford therapy we that's we we can't afford it or we're fine we can work through this on our own we don't need a therapist Mm -hmm. or just the stigma that like I don't want to I don't want to be like I don't want to be uh faulty Mm -hmm. I need to go see a therapist that means something's wrong yeah Mm mm-hmm so kind of coming to terms with all of these things mm-hmm. to say, you know, therapy's fine. And it's I, fine. <laughs> I intentionally talk about the fact that we we go to therapy. Sure. We have for uh, years, three mm-hmm. years probably, I think. Yeah, like three years. Mm-hmm. And it's been wonderful. And we will go for the rest of our lives. And we will talk about it openly because mm-hmm. it's so important that we kind of normalize this. Can you kind of hit on some of those those roadblocks people come sure. into so that if there's someone listening to this that says, I think my family needs this, but I don't know how to cross that threshold. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, and I hear a lot of that. I think financially that becomes probably the biggest roadblock that I hear. We value our money and that's fair. Um, so in my practice, um, I don't take insurance. So I'm private pay only, which is pretty common for private practice clinicians because we don't have staff. So there's nobody to do all that extraneous paperwork and like wrestling with insurance. So we're also, you know, doing the therapy um, Mm -hmm. and scheduling all the things. So um, I'm private pay. And so I hear that a lot of, oh, your sessions are X amount of dollars for an hour and you're wanting me to bring my kid every week or every other week. Wow, I can't afford that. And that's fair. I get that. I get that. So I would say, first of all, contact your insurance provider. If you have insurance, you're wanting to utilize that. 
two questions. So do you have therapists that are already in network in my area that see kids? Um, if so, like, yeah, let me have those names. Yeah. Um, and secondly, do you offer some sort of reimbursement for out-of-network claims? So basically the way I structure that with a lot of my clients is I give them a receipt for each session or I provide a receipt or a super bill at the end of every month or every quarter, whatever they're looking for, and they turn that into their insurance provider. And a lot of times insurance companies do have reimbursement policies, so they'll either offer you reimbursement directly or they have um, an HRA, so a health reimbursement account or a flexible spending account, so it's a debit card. I'm set up to take those and you get you know X amount of dollars per year and it's for stuff like out-of-network therapy costs. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you can get reimbursed. The important thing to realize, and this is actually a deterrent for a lot of parents with using their insurance, is I have to put a diagnosis on your child. Right, right. Um, Which, if we're already looking into a diagnosable condition, so maybe if it's been more severe and they've been in inpatient treatment, um, they've been to see their psychiatrist, they're on medication, they're going to have a diagnosis probably in their medical records already. But if it's, you know, normal life stress, they just had their first breakup and they're 14 and they're also <laughs> in freshman year of high school. And My diagnosis is your teenager. Yeah, and it's like, well, this is just general <laughs> life, but I have to say something so the yeah. insurance company will pay mom and dad back for this. So guess what? You just got an anxiety disorder. Right. Um, and which, it's, which actually is really legit. Yeah. It's because like, that is anxiety. It's anxiety. <laughs> but like then it stinks because, you know, at 22, it shows that they got treatment for generalized anxiety disorder. Right when they got broken up with. Um, and so that, that kind of stinks. Um, so I let parents know all of that stuff and how to use insurance and how to look for little loopholes like reimbursement stuff. There's also a lot of really good organizations that um, offer therapy at reduced costs. Mm-hmm. So a sliding scale. A sliding scale. Um, and sometimes it's based on the type of therapist that you see. So in these um, sort of agencies, they are a lot of times providing extra support to therapists that are up and coming. So they're just out of graduate school. They may be in graduate school working as an intern. Um, They may be just out of graduate school and they're working towards licensure. Um, They may be working on getting certified in a certain type of therapy. And so there may be the cost is a little bit different for the level of experience Mm -hmm. that your clinician might have doesn't mean that they're not qualified, but they may not have been in the field for 10 years and have all the letters after their name. Right, right. Um, So that's sometimes a good kind of loophole as well to find something that's affordable. And then regular therapists a lot of times do offer sliding scale, like Mm -hmm. you mentioned, which is just a reduced cost. So instead of $80, they may offer their sessions at $40. Right, and that's based on annual income. Annual income, typically, yeah. And some therapists do pro bono. You know, they may Mm -hmm. take one or two at a time, um, and that might not mean that they have a lot of openings, but it happens, and you might look into that. You don't know if you don't ask. Right, yeah. So the financial piece is really tough. Um, It might be that you have to schedule at certain times of the month when you get paid. Yeah. Um, You know, and a lot of therapists are familiar with all of that and can – help troubleshoot that to an extent. Um, so I wouldn't let finances immediately become a barrier. Right. Because there's a lot of ways around it if you look hard enough. Yeah. Yeah, I have actually worked with a lot of people in, in life just in general talking through prioritizing money too. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't know what it, the cause of it is, but definitely I feel like with my generation, 
our generation sometimes have a very skewed look on finances Mm -hmm. where we can't pay for our child's therapy session, but we can pay for coffee every day Mm -hmm. or fancy dinners out. Right. Trendy's pair of shoes. Yes. Or a nice pair of shoes Uh or, uh, you know, a few new pieces to our wardrobe Uh or a new, um, I don't know, a piece of decor for your house, a new potted plant. Mm -hmm. And it's, those things are all awesome. Right. Let's cut back on some of those uh-huh. and pay for our child's therapy session mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or our own therapy session, right. our own marriage counseling, that kind of thing. I know when we first looked at uh, marriage marriage uh, counseling, we found someone that could uh, work with an HSA, so that was mm-hmm. solid for us. Um, but there was definitely some things that we had to cut out to be like, okay, if we're going to be paying 90 bucks for this, Let's figure out where we can cut out mm-hmm. $90 somewhere else. So, right. like, maybe our date nights are now not really nice date nights. Right. Maybe we go on a walk in the park and just talk. And that is completely sufficient. Right. And we're getting therapy on top uh-huh. of it. So, maybe our marriage will actually get yeah. better. Yeah, that $90 dinner is maybe not going to be as constructive as the therapy yeah, session. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So, I definitely agree with you that there's not only... Um, therapists out there that are going to work with you but Mm -hmm. also like there's ways to have a new perspective on your own budgeting Mm -hmm. to make that a priority absolutely for sure yeah and I mean I think to consider too that therapists I mean I'm not an Enneagram type two I know that's the helper but um I'm a strong one um but (laughs) I surround myself with one there you go (laughs) there you go um so but we I mean I have that helper in me that's why I chose this profession Mm -hmm. is I want to try and find healing and I'm passionate about kids. So even if I don't have those slots available, if you tell me that, Hey, money's an issue, I'm going to point you in directions that can take that into consideration where they can be aware. Um, you know, I'm not going to send you to another $90 an hour therapist. Okay. Let me, let me point you into some nonprofits or some church organizations or something where I know these folks tend to have more financial options available than, maybe some other routes. I think that's a really good point. I think a lot of times even I forget that therapists are in the business of helping you. Right. And a lot of times I've heard people talk about, you know, they finally do decide, you know, take the plunge and the big step to go into therapy, Mm -hmm. but maybe that they don't mesh well with their therapist, Mm -hmm. but they feel bad about (laughs) switching. And it's like, yo, this is about you. Uh (laughs) Yes. They're not going to get their feelings hurt if it's not a good match. Yeah. Go find another therapist. Absolutely. It's like a dating game. Yes. It really is. And I would encourage, I mean, I've had kids and I'm always sort of floored, but also really, really proud of them when they come in. And I remember I had one client and I've had her for a couple years now. um, And so we worked it out, obviously, but it was maybe the second, maybe third session. She came in and she was so standoffish and I said... Um, something just feels off. And she said, well, you said something last time and it really hurt my feelings and I don't really want to be here today. I'm not sure how I feel about you right now. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> okay, okay. Well, if only adults would do yes. that. Yes, <laughs> and I was like, okay, what was it? Like, why did it feel that way to you? Great, now I know that. I know to steer clear of that because I want to respect how you feel and that was totally not my intention. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I mean, she was like 14 or 15 at the time. Um, and now she's 17. And so like, I'm constantly like, wow, I'm so proud of you because you stood up for yourself Mm -hmm. and said, Hey, this relationship's not vibing. So that put the ball in my court to say, 
okay, I can, I can hear that and let me adjust because I want to. That's right. within my ability to do that. And sometimes it's not within my ability, but that doesn't, like you said, I'm not offended. I want it to work for them. And if I'm not the right fit, I'm not the right fit. Right. So I've done my own therapy work in my life and I've had counselors where I left and was like, yeah, wasn't feeling that. And I just <laughs> didn't go back. Um, so I want them to say like, oh, I don't know, you know, if this is something, can we work through it? Do I want to work through it? If it doesn't work, I want them to go find somebody who they do work well with. So, um, yeah, definitely does not hurt my feelings (laughs) at all because that's part of, that's part of this process. Like you said, if only adults would do that, that's what I'm trying to teach them. Mm -hmm. How, how can you be a successful adult? If life's not jiving, if something's not working for you, let's find a way for you to stand up and find your voice in that. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's honestly, that's, I feel like that's what the only thing any of us could wish for our kids is that they grow up being comfortable and confident who they are mm-hmm. and they're willing to speak up for themselves. Absolutely. And and go after what they want in life. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that sets a really good example for them as well, which is why I try really hard to be open to that kind of feedback. You know, you mentioned too, like other barriers to getting kids into therapy, not just finances. And, you know, that stigma of what if it doesn't work? What if they don't like me? It could honestly be they don't like my room or something mm-hmm. about you know, I'm really close to their school. I have um, a specific school in Murfreesboro where I, it's a smaller school and I see several students from that school and they bump into each other in the lobby. Mm. And they're actually, they're teammates. So that was- I really, no shame in that a little bit because you're like, like, you're here too. Yes, cool. exactly. And that's what I tell them <laughs> because the question comes up like, oh, well, you're three blocks away from my high school. What if I see somebody I know? And I'm, my response every time first thing is, well, then if you're bumping into them in my lobby, then they're also here for therapy. Right. So They're not here to, like, sell me a magazine. Yeah, like, I don't take Girl Scout cookies. Like, I don't buy smart cards. Um, don't hit me up for that. I'd be so poor. Um, but, like, they're here for therapy, too. So, right. and that's a really good reframe for them. Like, that immediately hits that stigma that pops up in their brain of, like, they wanted to be embarrassed because it's embarrassing, apparently, to be in therapy. But, like, oh, wait, wait a minute, they're here too for the same thing. Mm -hmm. So working through some of those things of like, it's perfectly normal to see a therapist and if you bump into somebody they know, you know, yep, that's because they're here for the exact same things. So as an adult, really helping be a neutral, healthy model for them, for their parents sometimes, like sometimes parents need that too. But really like as a parent, being very open to the idea of therapy and not coming in going, um, how much is this going to cost? How long do we have to do this? This is right. a lot of money. Like you can ask me that stuff in private, but don't let your, let your kid hear that. Yeah, that's a good point. Really mm-hmm. paying attention to the way that we're wording things in front mm-hmm. of our children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think, I think in general, the trend, we're trending towards that. Mm-hmm. The generation before us, it was like the gossip in town oh, yeah. if you were seeing a therapist. Mm-hmm. Our generation is becoming much more open to it. You hear public figures talking about going to therapy, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, you, you know friends in therapy. 
And hopefully, our children's generation, it will just be like, yeah, and you become an adult and everyone finds their own therapist. Right. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I want to be that person in their life where, like, yeah, I go see my therapist and it's fun. And I had a a client of mine that said something, and she's a teenager, she's in high school, and she said something about being at a sleepover the night before, and then she got up Saturday morning and drove herself to our appointment, and she mentioned that she had told her friends, like, yeah, I gotta go because I'm going to my therapy appointment. And, you know, she was like, I told him, like, you're great. And, like, I think that if we were the same age, we'd totally be friends. Like, yeah. I love coming to see you. And yeah. I was like, thank you. Like, yes, tell everyone that that's how you feel about <laughs> therapy because that's how it should feel. Yes. It's like I get to come and just have that time. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know there's been a couple times that um, usually because I drop the ball in babysitting that only one of us gets to go to our, our counseling mm-hmm. session where it's supposed to be a marriage one, but then like, whoops, honey, I totally forgot to right. schedule a babysitter, therefore <laughs> yes. um, Again, going back to the Enneagram, I'm a seven, he's a one, so it's 100% <laughs> always me that forgets that. Yeah. And um, a few times I've been able to go solo though, and I'm like, this is great. Yeah, Let's absolutely. just sit here and talk about me for Right, <laughs> absolutely. I've done that in my own work, and then I come home and I'm like, yeah, my therapist said. <laughs> he's like, yeah, great. Love that fine. That's awesome. I love that. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for coming in today mm-hmm. and talking through this. I think you know, as much as our culture is starting to understand therapy more and, and normalize it more, it really is still a very foreign thing when you're talking about children. Yeah. Um, so I love that you were able to kind of open that door for us Absolutely. and open our eyes to what that looks like. Absolutely. I love this world. I love my young people. They just, there's never anything dull or <laughs> routine about it. So I think if, if we can help it be a normal part of their lives like that, that would change their whole world. Yeah. That would change our future 100%. If people are in the area and they want to find you specifically, where do they go to look? Um, so I'm on Psychology Today, Lindsay Wilburn. Um, LindsayWilburnCounseling.com is my website. I'm in the Murfreesboro area. So um, pretty much just kind of hit me up through all the social networking stuff yeah, yeah. Um, or email me, whatever. Text me. I don't care. And even if it's just like questions or you know I get those a lot of like hey my sister needs a therapist and she lives you know in Hendersonville like yeah I'm not going to see your sister because she's a grown person but um, I want to just help people get plugged in so if I can utilize my resources to help other people even the grown-ups find what they need like I want to do that too. So. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank God for your two wing. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Anyone that doesn't know the enneagram yeah. needs to figure it out. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you again, yeah. and we really appreciate it. Absolutely.